You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com, and I am better than Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. This podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience. And uh, and the uh, opinions expressed are not necessarily, holy God, am I having problems talking. That's what, the, you get, that's what you get for dissing me off the top. The, the opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the participants. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. It's late and uh, we're talking California. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, we'll get and, right and, to it. We and did... when, you're, when you're talking anything from the States these days, it doesn't have to make sense. I can lie to you on this <laughs> side and then I can tell you something else on that side. And it just doesn't matter because that's just the way the U.S. is these days. I guess it's pretty great that we started this with a disclaimer then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we went to the California Wine Fair, and this is an event that uh, I know that I look forward to. I probably didn't shut up about it for a good uh, month leading into it. Yeah, I kept telling you to shut up and you wouldn't. <laughs> but we did something a little bit different uh, this year. So we're not going to harp on the event because it, it was a good event. Um, if I had to give one criticism just not as good as past years i feel like a lot of uh key wineries either didn't take part or uh just weren't on the roster this year i i will i will say that we did went, go to the evening portion uh i will also state that the afternoon portion had from all accounts that i of the people i spoke with from agent to trade to everybody they said too many people they shoved 1100 people into that room and until california wine fair learns that it's not about quantity it's about quality i don't think the trade is going to be happy with that afternoon show i mean that being said the evening portion was a little bit more comfortable but uh, i mean so it's got to be the portion was great it's got to be difficult it's got to be difficult for uh, some of the key wineries, um, one of the wineries we interviewed, Heights, like they had uh, their top tier Cabernet Sauvignon and a lot of people, they just make a beeline to the high value bottles. So if you're heading to the um, the California Wine Fair, check the website, see which wines are there. If there's some high value wines that you're looking to try, make sure you add those to the top of your list because they don't stick around long. They don't. And and I, I think, that, as I said, the consumer portion was a much more laid back affair trade portion man if, if california wants to talk to me give me a phone call let's talk but oh we're soliciting we're talk, soliciting we the talk. phone calls now <laughs> yeah now i'm soliciting yeah we'll talk on facebook but what the heck i know i'm going to get the phone calls about uh, that comment i'm going to get emails about that comment um let's just move on yeah let's do it because we heights. did we, we did do something a little bit different and it was a lot of fun you and I had talked about doing this because we've never really done something like this. Um, as a writer, you do get a chance to talk to a lot of people from wineries. And we said, what the hell? Let's bring the microphone with us. Uh, let's sit down in a quiet room and uh, see who we can speak with. And and we got to speak to five California wine principals. I, I won't say winemakers because they weren't all winemakers. But they were definitely principals from these wineries. And we're going to kick it off with uh, uh, 
Jeannie Cabral from uh, Heights Wine Cellars. And You're much better at this than I am. It uh, probably fine. has something to do with that French background of yours. <laughs> but without further ado, uh, here's our chat with uh, Jeannie from Heights. This is the 2012 single vineyard, which we call Martha's Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon. And Martha's Vineyard is not the Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. The vineyard is named after the owner, who is Martha May. So that's how the name came about. So amazing, amazing wine. And the vintage is 2012 on this. 2012. How was 2012 as a vintage? In Napa Valley, it was a a very, very good vintage. In fact, as you probably have been told before, but we're very, our weather is very consistent. So we get good vintages, great vintages, some exceptional vintages. We rarely get a vintage that is subpar. So I know you've got a lot of questions about weather, but I want to ask a question right off the bat. What is it like being an iconic winery in California? And you know Heights is iconic, so don't play the, uh, you know, <laughs> humble card um, here. You know, being an iconic wine winery, I mean, from my standpoint, I think, first of all, let me just kind of go back about with the Heights family, because that's who I work for. They're a very humble family. Um, I don't think that we always think of ourselves as being iconic. I think that um, we think about making an amazing wine, and the wine itself is, you know, iconic, but this is definitely, we. I use that word a lot. I don't always hear the family use that word, but for me, working for a winery that is not just, if we want to use the word iconic, but I think a winery that has been in existence for now 56 years, and working for a family that is has such high, um, the integrity that they do, I think that makes them iconic, which translates into their wine, but it's an amazing to work for, for them, and I think working for a winery that's world famous it opens a lot of doors. It probably makes my job easier, but in a lot of ways it makes it more difficult. Like today at the Tasty, okay. <laughs> I'm very busy. No, I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I work harder at, at that type of a thing. So it's, it's it, I'm going to just say it's amazing work for an iconic winery. I'll, I'll, I know yeah, I mean, got all kinds yes. of weather questions, yes. so I'm going to leave. I know, we've talked about the, the, I know we've talked about the consistent weather, and if I'm... Uh, I'm not mistaken, the one that we're drinking, this is the first year, either before the drought or the first mm-hmm. drought year, mm-hmm. but a lot of rain has apparently fallen in your corner of the state. Yes, it has, yeah. How relieved are, uh, is your winemaker and vineyard manager to see the rain come? Well, I think everybody, I think everybody in um, not just Napa Valley, in California in general, we're happy that the drought is definitely over. Um, in, in Napa Valley specifically, up on Mount St. Helena, they got over 100 inches since October. So um, the drought is definitely over. We're going to have to translate that in centimeters. <laughs> and so, yeah, you're going to have to translate that in centimeters. And I'm sorry, I can't do that off the top it's of my head. It's about 300. But um, we are happy because, for one thing, now, but, you know, wine doesn't require, or grape growing, I should say, does not require a lot of, um, you know, water. We don't, Martha's Vineyard itself is a dry farm vineyard. So, but where this vineyard is located, if we're talking specifically about Martha's Vineyard, it's located right at the base of the Mayacamas Mountains, and there's almost like a natural um, aquavine there. So it gets a lot from the from the ground itself. So yes, that is helpful when you have rain because it builds back up that groundwater. We also, I was, we use water um, 
during, like in the spring, if we get a um, frost, because that's we have sprinklers. You just that's, said the F word. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> I did, didn't I? Which uh, Andre Except, was shocked to hear. I know. Well, I, I mean, it is a little, a little ignorance. Obviously, the climate yeah. in uh, the climate in Napa, Sonoma, is a little bit different than what we picture in our head. Yeah. Los Angeles palm trees when you see California yeah. on television, but so you know, I think if we just kind of go back to that drought, we don't get rain in the summertime anyway. So as long as we have enough, um, you know, water, in which we did, um, it's, it was we really weren't dependent on, you know, the, it wasn't like a dire situation for us. But yes, we we're very happy to see the drought in. I mean, it's very, and otherwise, it, it depend upon where you're at in California. You know, it's partic- particularly Southern California where they get most of the water from Northern California. It's okay. very important. So just the geek question then, mm-hmm. a couple about this wine. This is definitely very good Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, what is the age of the vines that uh, um, make this, this? this? Well, first of all, Martha's Vineyard. This vineyard is um, was planted originally in okay. 1961. And when it was planted, it was planted by um, some individuals. Well, let me just kind of step back. Tom and Martha May, who, who um, own this vineyard, they bought this a couple of years after 61, okay. and they never intended to make wine. So the Heights family started getting grapes from this vineyard in 65, and 66 was the first was the first vintage for Martha's Vineyard. So give me your original question again. I've kind of got all the vines. All the vines. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, so the vineyard. That's what I was going to say. It was planted initially in, in you know early 60s. It was replanted again in the 90s. So we didn't produce a Martha's in 93, 94, 95. And those are the years that it was being replanted. And this is a clone that is a proprietary clone, meaning that only the May family has it. So when it was replanted, it was replanted with new wood wood stock, but on the same same clone. So any any Martha's Vineyard wine that... that is labeled as Martha's Vineyard from 93, 94, 95 comes from China, is what you're saying? Yes. Okay, just <laughs> Yes, precisely. Yeah. Yes. Or, yes, and if you get it in a vertical, it's not a vertical. <laughs> cool. But was there a reason why they replanted those vineyards? Yeah, well, you know, you're probably going to, if you talk to other, you know, vintners, you're going to find out that probably 80 to 90% of Napa Valley was replanted in the... Um, in the late 80s and 90s, the phylloxera was a big problem. Oh, wow. So okay. um, because of that, though, the, the fruit from the, from the you know, Napa Valley has never been better. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Michael? No, Jeannie's been great. Did I get the great. name right? Did I get the name right? You got the name right. Because I was thinking of that hair. Yeah. The song. The dark, but dark, not dark, long. long yeah. time. Or something, somebody's hair. Yeah. It was great talking to you guys. Thanks, thank, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Now, I know we did a bit of a live tasting, but that Martha's Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon was really something special that we got a chance to taste. I like that, but as many who follow me know on MichaelPingusWineReview.com, I am a big fan of Zinfandel. So without further ado, we talked to Julie Petricelli of uh, the eponymous Petrocelli Winery, and she had a really great Zin for us to taste. I'm Julie Petrocelli St. John, and I'm a third-generation family owner of, with my rest of my family at Petrocelli Winery, located in Geyserville, California, Dry Creek Valley, Sonoma County. I must have driven right by your place when I was there a couple years ago. What kind of bastard are you? I know. <laughs> uh, what wine do we have in front of us right now? 
Um, we're, gonna, we're trying our flagship. It's our mother clone, Zinfandel 2014. Um, it is a uh, just a Zinfandel Dry Creek Valley made in heaven. Okay, so I... It's like I, a black pepper note on this. This is so much. There's so much going on. <laughs> I am... I, I am I, uh, Andre always says he's got the geek question. I don't have geek questions, but I do geek out over certain wines. Zinfandel is like my manna from heaven. It's just... And you guys make some of the best going. Uh, it's it, So Mother Clone, uh, I've had uh, many occasions. But I do want to ask you, to go way off topic, yes. what made you think to make uh, Sangiovese in California? <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, we actually tried, we thought uh, we need to plant a grape that um, speaks to our Italian heritage. And we decided on Nebbiolo first. And Nebbiolo was planted in the spot where our Sangiovese is planted now, and it, it died. It, we had a very rare frost about, it was probably about uh, 20, almost 30 years ago when we tried to plant the Nebbiolo. And we There's had that an F word again, Andre. Yeah. Uh, and in um, so in its stead, uh, a neighbor planted Sangiovese, had great success, and that's how we did. And we ended up planting three of our hilltops to Sangiovese. And it, yes, and it's a wonderful California, California Chianti in that it has that nice bright acidity, but very low tannin, and it just really has done. I've seen this vineyard, what's really exciting. Glad you asked this. Um, it was a vineyard planted in the early '90s, and I got to see it mature. And as it has matured, it just has gotten better and better. Um, the fruit and everything about it. And we've learned a few things, too, um, picking-wise. And, and it's an early, uh, it likes to um, break, uh, bud break early. And, uh, yeah, so we've learned a few things along the way. All right, I'm not going to pick on any winery in specific, but I love okay. the fact that you called this your flagship wine. Because ah. one thing I noticed uh, going to California, I went there on a Zinfandel mission. Because I am a broke-ass millennial, as I like to say. I can't afford the flagship cabs that make it to the LCBO. Mm -hmm. The flagship Zinfandel is always kick-ass. It's something that's a little bit unique. So why make the Zinfandel your flagship instead of something like a Cab Sauve or Merlot? That's, that's a good question. And it, and it is because when my grandparents bought the property in 1927, so that was 90 years ago, it came with 25 acres of Zinfandel. And so it's the grape that we started with. And so that is the, then the reason why it has become our flagship, because it is something that has been uh, grown on our property since the early 1900s. And uh, the mother clone name itself refers to that mother vineyard, which we then cloned back into place using budwood from the original planting. So we then extended the generation from first to second on the property. And it's had pruned, it's hand-picked, it's all up on the hillside. So... We, we designated it our flagship. So with the vineyards being that old, the other thing I learned in California, you have these old vineyards that are not just Zinfandel. You've got a few other things mixed in there, your Petite Syrah and... Uh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on the other ones. Is yours vineyard? Jared Nan is you another one. Yes. Uh, is your vineyard pure Zin, or is it the mixed blacks that uh, the, people are working with? When we replanted, we replanted from the mix, the field blend to the specific okay. varietal. And what we did then is plant some Petit Syrah, but it's side by side with the Zinfandel. So because there is a touch of Petit Syrah in every in every Mother Clone bottle that you have, so it's about 10% Petit Syrah. Gives it a little structure, a little balance to the fruit yeah, brings it does. out that nice spiciness <laughs> yeah, it does. we like to say we make 
spice bombs, not fruit bombs at Petrincelli when it comes to zip. So well, this has got, I, I got to go oh, to one more. Right, Sorry. Go out here. Go ahead. <laughs> but like this has this great acidity, but I was in California that summer yeah. 2014 and it was early, early August and things were already going through Verizon. When yes. did you harvest this? Uh, the 2014 was harvested, I believe, around the second week of September, first or second week, which is a little earlier than normal. It, we, everything was backed up because bud break became, was quite early in 2014. And so it just sped everything up through through harvest. Okay, go okay, ahead, Michael. So I was just, I wasn't looking at my phone for any other reasons, but I do have my wine cellar on my phone on uh-huh. an app. Uh-huh. So I was looking up, I knew I had some of your wines in the cellar. I don't want you to break my heart here. I have a 2007 Bushnell Vineyard Zin. Oh, you do. Oh, is that good or bad? That's very good. Oh, good. Oh, that's... <laughs> oh I, was, I thought you was going to say, oh, that's dead. Don't drink it. No. 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 Zinfandels, I do believe... I like an old Zin, so... I, I like them about 10, 10 years from vintage. So that's about 10 years. That's you are on the right spot. on. And it probably could go a little while longer, but I think... Sometimes what happens is the Zinfandel fruit starts to drop away, and you lose some of that really nice fresh fruit. So that's mm-hmm. why I like them about 10 years of beyond vintage. Um, but I think you've got a, a gem in your cellar. Oh, definitely. good. Thank God. So just speaking of Zinfandel in general, when you, uh, and then yours is specifically, you said that the fruit kind of drops away. Because you make spice bombs instead of fruit bombs, you know, when the fruit starts to drop away, all I get usually is, is cedar, wood, other tertiary flavors. Do yours just become more peppery? <laughs> I have I've actually been... Uh, what's a good question, because we've started to taste through a lot of our older Zinfandels. You know, both the fruit and the spice seem to kind of drop away, and they actually become more mellow. And that is what I find in our particular style. It mellows, and we don't get that cedary, tobacco-y. Um, but, you know, if we go back 30 years, 40 years, then we're talking that's gone over the hill. But I think in, in our case, that spiciness and, and fruit just really just kind of mellow out, and it's uh, more of, more enjoyable that way. Well, because Andre now knows I have a bottle of this. Andre, I guess we'll have to get together to try this, talk about it, maybe a little barbecue, I think. Oh, I got so the smoker. smoker. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Julie. We do appreciate your time today. Yep, thank it was you. a pleasure. Thank you both. Andre, I'm surprised that you never mentioned that you were from Saskatchewan to anybody from California. <laughs> they know. They they just know. Oh, it's already it's it's, it's written on your forehead. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we had a chance to sit down with Evelyn Poole from Han and talk about uh, of all things Pinot. Yeah, and uh, I I think I became a bit of a uh, California Pinot convert in this conversation. And that's a shocker. My name is Evelyn Poole, and I do all the international sales for Han Family Wines in Monterey, California, which is on the central coast, about two hours south of San Francisco. So um, I'll start because Andre does not like California Pinot, and I see... Fabulous. I'm Fabulous that he doesn't like it? That means more for me. <laughs> so yes, fabulous. No, but we can make him a convert. I hope so tonight. 
uh, because I understand from one of our colleagues, David Larson, that you are one of the largest Pinot producers in California. Is that correct? Well, I think that maybe that's a little uh, aggressive because there are some Central Valley producers that are really big. But we do own uh, 1,100 acres of vineyards in Monterey and primarily in Santa Lucia Highlands, a little bit in Arroyo Seco. Um, and of those 1,100 acres, two-thirds of them are Pinot Noir. Yeah, so that's pretty big. I can't say it. So I was in Monterey many years ago with my mother. We were at the Monterey Jazz Festival. She said, I want to go see jazz. I said, I want to go see wine. <laughs> so uh, we As compromised. We went to see jazz and wine. Spent a whole day in Monterey. Fabulous Pinots. I love how you guys try to explain to us what uh, in Ontario what cool climate is. Mm-hmm. But... Um, because we are a cool climate. Well, but we have something different. Yes. Um, we Monterey Bay is one of the deepest bodies of water in the world. And so it's a giant trough in Monterey Bay. It's, it's deeper and longer than the Grand Canyon in Arizona, but it's underwater. You don't see it. So it is, the, but regardless, it's a deep water port. It's fabulous. And we get fabulous marine sea life. But anyway, it's, um, the water stays cold. The air stays cold. And then in the growing season, when it starts heating up, there's a direct conduit down uh, Salinas Valley, and the towns are Salinas, all the little towns, Gonzales and Soledad, and then further down is Paso Robles. So when it gets hot in Paso Robles, which is uh, protected from the ocean, so it gets hotter than a pistol there, and, oh, it's Canada. We don't talk about guns. No. Nope. <laughs> We're not talking about We're, guns. Okay, it's hotter than hell. <laughs> we don't talk about hell either. Because that's what you're living through right now. Yes. But, yes. Um, on so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, anyway, when the hot air rises in Paso, it pulls the cool air off of uh, Monterey Bay. So we get incredible wind. And the, the hotter it gets in the middle of the, the growing season, in the middle of the day, the more wind we get. It gets so windy you can't can't really set a glass down in the middle of the day, but it, it will blow over. But also the uh, leaves shut down. The underside of the grape leaf shuts down. The stomata closes to protect itself from the wind. It's under attack. So we have no ripening in the heat of the day. So it means we have a really long growing season, a very cool growing season. So we get a lot of complexity. It's ideal for Pinot Noir. I'm eating some words here. This is Pinot that tastes like Pinot. Yes, we're I having... actually I, I well, visited we I visited uh, Oregon this summer, and if you didn't tell me this was California, I would guess this is McMinnville. You have to. The problem is California for a long time tried to grow Pinot in the wrong places, and they still try to grow Pinot in the wrong places because, but it's such a fickle grape it, because Pinot can bring a lot of a lot of um, money to the table if it's good. But it's called uh, the heartbreak grape because if you don't treat it right and it's not in the right area, then you're in trouble. And so the idea is um, Monterey, uh, particularly Santa Lucia Highlands, is just ideal for Pinot Noir. It has the right soil. It has the wind. It has everything going for it that actually makes the Pinot Noir develop beautifully. And we get these nice, round, rich Pinot Noirs that taste like Pinot. So the first one we have is a Han 2015 uh, Pinot from uh, Monterey County. So How this, much does this cost a bottle? This is uh, 1920 listed. 
uh, in the LCBO. Thank you, LCBO. Yes. Sorry, this right. is listed at $20? Yeah, under 20 So uh, we are, uh, you can find us on the shelf um, in, uh, in the LCBO stores. So, okay, so now I want to, I really want to move on to, this looks like almost like a single vineyard or... Uh, it is Andre, our single Andre, I've never seen you pour out wine that quickly. Yeah, let's get the, <laughs> let's get the other stuff in here. Right. And, so and how many cases, let's, let's, before we move on to the second one, how many cases of the first one do, do you make? It is probably a third of the production of the entire winery. We're probably at 125,000 cases. And what's the alcohol content on that bottle? We run about 14.5. Um, it doesn't California. even taste like 14.5, though. Yeah, no, it doesn't. That's that's the <laughs> trick to making it, making it right. Um, and so the... Uh, we actually have three Pinot Noirs that we produce. Uh, the second Pinot Noir is SLH, which is from Santa Lucia Highlands, our Appalachian. It actually just won, um, I got in the Wine Spectator Top 100 Wines of the World. Of course, we ran out of it right before this show. So, now, and sadly, I don't have it today. Now, Evelyn, you know we are on uh, some sort of podcast, so it's it, nobody can see you in all your little motions. So you've done a prayer motion at one point, you've Doesn't done a matter. cheering motion, and, and another. We should we should have uh, some sort of, uh, yeah. you know, little descriptive emojis. video going on. We, um, we just like to do emojis in the podcast. How, <laughs> if, you can, if someone can invent a verbal emoji, I think you'd have it. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> your ticket to fame. We can have some sound effects when you cheering i'll have a crowd cheering in the background so so uh before i pass this around the table because we do have some folks with us um this is and again before you listen this is a little more what i would expect typically californian pinot a little more ballsy a little bit more ballsy a little bit more like vanilla on the mid but still has some nice acidity to it still rolls off the back of the tongue a little smooth so what what is what is this wine and then i'm going to pass it so this is the third wine in the lineup this is our single vineyard series and our top of the line pinot this is uh lucien Lucien uh, is named for Nikki Hahn. The, fa- the winery is owned by Nikki and Gabby Hahn. We are still family owned after 37 years. And so Nikki Hahn's middle name is Lucian. We took the feminine version in honor of Santa Lucia. So this is uh, our single vineyard wine. We have all of our zillions of acres of Pinot Noir. We only produce, uh, this is about 1,400 six packs. This is the Smith Vineyard that we're tasting. We have four different vineyards. The Smith Vineyard is the one that is probably the, uh, uh, it's protected from the wind a bit, um, but it is still cool enough that it has all that really nice rich red fruit, um, but it really has that, that richness of flavor, the depth of flavor. We have uh, over 20 different clones of Pinot Noir planted as well. So we not only do vineyard selection, we do the best the best lots in the vineyard, but we also plant by clone. So we harvest by clone when we age by clone. So it also comes out to be a barrel selection as well as a vineyard selection. So when you did the 20 clones, I did the rock back and eyes wide open. So I was just thinking knows. about, should I do the cruel thing and ask her to list all the clones? Do it. Do it. Can you do it? No. <laughs> That's about as honest as you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, let's face it. It's, it's too nerdy. No, one, no one's really no going to care. They care what the wine tastes like. Right. So The winemaker uh, cares. The, well, and we care, but uh, we're primarily, actually we're primarily Burgundy clones, the Pomard uh, line, and, and uh, there's a few clones in California, Pinot Noir, that are known as suitcase clones that eat some of the wild boys from uh, 
Monterey County have brought back either in their suitcase or maybe just a few cuttings tucked into their pants when they go through customs. Everybody likes a good plant in the pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's crazy. Bad. Can you imagine a dedication to the vineyard where you're actually taking the top part of a plant on a holiday and you're sticking that home to plant in your vineyard? Oh, you don't know these guys. Oh, I do. I just wanted they, to they, illustrate no, the picture for the right. people listening this to is, this. This is so amazing. So um, many of the boys, I can't name names because that would be like put them in on, in a hard place. <laughs> Between a rock put, and a hard place. Put them on the no-fly zone. <laughs> yeah, all right. But um, they brought these vines home and they propagated them. And so now they are major clones called something else in the California system. Did you, did you try this wine? I know we poured some for you. We've talked very well, but you haven't really tasted it. This is a lovely Pinot. Oh, I drink plenty of this wine. I have no doubt. And I, you and have the it, temperament for it. And it's true. <laughs> yes, it's true. And I, I do drink plenty, and I do talk plenty, so it's like not really a problem for me. Okay, thank you. I can afford that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Great. Thank Great. you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I, I actually have it on my list um, my, on my next payday to pick up a bottle of that Han Pinot Noir that is uh, in vintages right now. Uh, it, it was a great bottle of wine and uh, very happy to drink that yeah. one. Um, going on further, uh, we spoke with Kathy from K Momi. And this is a winery that, uh, to me, shot into vintages a few years back with a great Cabernet Sauvignon. Price has gone up a little bit, but it's still a good value uh, cab from Napa. Yep, very reasonable. My name's Kathy Oates. I'm the Director of Export Sales for Kamomi Napa Valley. We are a winery obviously based in Napa Valley. And uh, yes, and uh, uh, we're family owned uh, by three Italians originally from the Veneto. Dario, Stefano, and Valentina. And um, the guys used to make wines when they lived in Veneto and uh, brought that Italian winemaking style, I think, uh, to the Kamomi brand in Napa. So where does, the na- where does the name come from? So it's Kafra Casa, House of Momi. There was a man named Momi di Bionda who owned the property that's pictured on the label. And he lived in a village in Veneto. Everyone knew the guy. He was super passionate about caring for the property and his vineyards and was a tad obsessed. When he passed away, our owners asked his family if they could purchase the property and name the winery in his honor. That's why it's called Kamomi. So you're from the Veneto region. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know the answer to this question, so I'm going to ask it, obviously. Uh, do you guys do anything to honor the Veneto region as in a Pasimento, uh style wines? We do do a Dolce, a Pasito. So, uh, yep, 375s. That is offered uh, to guests who dine with us. We have a restaurant in downtown Napa called Kamomi Osteria. So it's all authentic Italian cuisine. Wait, 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 wait. So this isn't a Pasimento style wine? Sweet wine. It's sweet. sweet. Wine. Okay. Yes, it's a dessert wine. Uh, made I was with just thinking, Riesling. like, like a Passamento wines generally push up the sugars and the alcohol, and you can get some Zinfandel that already is pushing 16, 17% without drying the fruit. Yeah. I can't imagine what a red wine from California with a Passamento on it would, would look like. Yeah. So you and I have met before, and it was a few years at the California Wine Fair, and I, I know I complimented you on this fabulous wine that you had come through in... And I'm gonna I'm gonna be 
totally blunt honest, the January release, the first release in the vintages, is the shittiest wines that come through the LCBO. It's just and like Hollywood. Guys, it's a dump month. Yeah, it really is just a dump of stuff. And you guys slipped a California cab at $20 that just blew me away. It was just so fabulous. I went out and bought six bottles of that the moment it hit the shelves because I was like, I cannot believe this is under 20 one, how did you do it? And can you do it again? Because now I'm noticing the wines are creeping up because people are sure. noticing. Yeah. Well, the that was a California cab. So yep. it's the same as the one you're tasting Yeah, and it was Napa. Today. I remember it saying Napa. Napa right? Valley. Oh. That's right. So one of the ways that we are able to, um, and we work very hard at this, to keep our pricing reasonable, is we don't have a fancy winery. Um, we have a production facility. So we've got great equipment, wonderful fruit, great employees, but no bells and whistles, no um, chateau to come visit or anything like that. And then we also don't have a tasting room. So in our vineyard, we tore down a building. We got all the permits and everything to build another one. And Dario came to a few of us and said, okay, we have an opportunity here. We can either open a restaurant or we could open a ta- build a tasting room. And to a person we're all like restaurant so that's the direction that we went so the resources are going into the restaurant and um everything that we're doing there and then into fruit and our vineyards and everything so i think that that's really helped us um keep a lot of our pricing reasonable so is there somewhere if we go down to the the winery that we'd be able to taste the wines at the osteria you can taste okay. the wines okay it's not yeah. a winery it's an osteria oh no sorry that's the restaurant Kamami Osteria, yeah. So yeah. it's all authentic Italian cuisine, organic ingredients. We have our so own you have to have it with food, farm. As the Italians expect you to have it. Our whole concept, everything about Kamomi and our three owners is that wine is meant to go with food. It's meant to be enjoyed with family and friends. And you sit and you relax and you experience life together. And it's, it's, this is a part of daily living, is enjoying wine and having a nice meal with people you care about. So that, that's what we do. So it's a newer label. I remember the older label being more of a brownish. Yes. Now we're into a, a nice, you know, kind of... Black and charcoal. Yeah, really kind of, you know, <clears throat> you know dressed up, I guess. Um, so we're looking at a 2015 cab mm-hmm. in front of us right now. Talk to us about this. So this is 100% Cabernet. Uh, We like to do 100% because we want people to know what the grape tastes like. And uh, we also do this with other Napa Valley wines that we produce. They're all 100% varietal. It is um, from two different areas in Napa Valley. Uh, Rutherford, which is Valley Floor on the western side, midway up. And Atlas Peak Mountain Fruit from the eastern side. So at about maybe 1,600 foot elevation area, uh, blended together. It's aged 12 months, French oak. We don't use new oak on our wines. We're using second vintage oak on our wines um, consistently throughout all 13 wines that we produce uh, for Kamomi um, because we want those tannins to be a little bit softer. We're trying to make wine that goes well with food. That, that's that's our mantra. Yeah, the finish on this wine is really smooth, but it's it's... It's interesting. Like, I don't think this is something I would necessarily sell her for 15 years or anything like that. But 
No, I, mean, I, don't get, I don't get a lot of acidity. I get that nice, smooth, you know, mocha, yes. black fruit, oh, yeah. black cherries. This just it's well, a it's blue. There's some blueberry in there too. Silky wine. Uh, the thing I, I did notice, though, is the 14 is currently on LCBO shelves. Yes. And this is the 15. Talk to us a little bit about the difference in vintages, and then I will tell you which vintage I prefer. I just <laughs> want to hear what you have to say about the vintages. Well, I think the key thing for a lot of people to keep in mind about the 15 is that it was short. Um, throughout the state of California, vineyards were down anywhere between 10 and 90%, depending on the varietal, the location weather conditions at the time. And our vineyards in Napa were down about 40%. Um, the locations that this Cabernet is coming from were down anywhere between 20 and 30%. So so I think for a lot of people, if you, um, if you really like 2015 vintage from the state of California, I encourage people to um, try them. Yeah. Um, because I think that we will be moving through this in a shorter period of time than we would normally cycle through. I, I think the 2015 vintage for Napa Valley was stunning. Um, the quality of the fruit, it, and it's not just our Cabernet. The other ones that we produce as well, and our Chardonnay is, is just I'm thrilled with it. So we've been very pleased with, with this vintage. I, I thought the 14 was good. But tasting this one, I did think the 15 was heads and tails above the 14, um, which means the LCB will never pick this up. It's just like a really highly concentrated concentrated wine. Like I know yeah. you said the vineyards are down, but I guess one of the byproducts from that natural cropping back is you generally end up with really high-quality fruit. Yeah, and then 16 is looking beautiful, so we're just at the beginnings of it, and we're, we've gotten enough rainfall that I think, hopefully, the state is set, mm-hmm. so uh, I, think we'll be, I think we'll be okay for this coming well, year as well. I know we've talked to a, a couple of the people tonight just about the drought conditions that, that most of the winery, the wineries in California have had to deal with. Is there some relief with the amount of rain that's taken place in early 2017? Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to be okay. I mean, from talking to um, both Dario and Stefano are our winemakers, um, and they're confident that this is going to be a really strong year. And, um, and I guess just to, to clarify, when you talked about the uh, the vineyards uh, cropping back either the, the 10 to 90 percent on location, is that just from the stress on the vines from a drought that's lasted five or four or five years? Yes, and we also had, at, at least in Napa, we got a really cold week. Um, sometime in the spring, I can't quite remember when it happened, and we had um, grapes shattering on the vines, so we lost crop. Shattering. Shattering. Yeah. So like the grapes got frozen, and they weren't protected for whatever reason, and they would just they break. So we had a lot of. I can't even. So was that in the, the, the that was in the fall? You said no. It was in sometime spring? in the spring. Oh, that's I, too I don't, bad. I don't in know the what fall, you could have was. called up some of the winemakers in Niagara to make ice wine with those. <laughs> Somebody's funny tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean in all seriousness, I know it's heartbreaking when you have the weather conditions that really just kill your vintage right at the beginning. There's nothing you can do to recover from that. You can't. But I think that's sort of. Um, that's the fun of it. That's the challenge of it. It's what can you do with what Mother Nature gives you, and I think right? What, well, I think what you've done with this is just fantastic. I really like I'm going to have more. Sorry. I <laughs> just, I am going to pour another glass of myself. 
Go ahead. While I'm, I'm, while good. I'm doing this. <laughs> no, I got, I got my questions about the weather, and I mean, that's all I... Oh, that's right. You're geeking out about weather, and <laughs> I'm geeking out about Zinfandel and, and, uh, and cabs. and. No, this is a really great I'd, cab. I'd love for you guys to come and visit us. <laughs> and, then, and then we can uh, do... We'll have dinner together. We oh, we'll can do the have sequel. dinner together. And then maybe you can have the Dolce because we've had dinner together. You can try the Dolce. We will make you a true Napolitana pizza. Oh, I just came back from Napoli, actually. You did? Did you like it? I did enjoy myself. <laughs> the traffic down there is crazy, but that's another story. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's a it's a sport for them to drive. It's unbelievable. It's like a, tra- a traffic light is like a suggestion. Does it say stop? Yes, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> You can go right on through. They're Italians. They are Italians. They're having yep. fun. They, they, they're living life. And as the, we all need on to the edge. Do. Like on the edge. That's right. All right. Well, Kathy, thank you very much for talking about Kamomi and pouring this wine with us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kathy. All uh, right. Andre, I just I just I'm a fan of Kamomi. I have to, I have to be honest. I know we're not supposed to say we're fans of anybody, but uh of, of the of the ones we have talked to so far, Kamomi, Pedro and Celli, uh, those are wineries that uh, that I really keep my eye on when they come through the California Wine Show. And uh, we're going to end up talking for our last interview to probably uh, the winery that makes one of the best California Merlots that comes through vintages. And I know you're not a Merlot fan. Um, I'm not a fan of Merlot when it's underripe and... Merlot from California is rarely that. Yeah, it's far from underripe. And uh, Jay Lore, we spoke to Sean, and she really lets us uh, know why that Merlot is so good. I'm Sean Zellini from Jay Lore Vineyards and Wines. That matches the card, so we're good. uh, I'm the vice president of international sales, so I handle the export sales for Jay Lore Winery. Excellent. Now, Jay Lore probably makes one of my favorite Merlots. Thank you. So uh, I'll come right up and say that I'm always a big fan of that one. That's Thank the one you that's very on much. the vintages um, uh, essentials list. It's generally released three times yeah. a year right now, the Merlot. Oh. And the Cabernet Sauvignon, the Seven Oaks Cabernet Sauvignon is a vintage essential. essential. Every so day. O- How do you pronounce it? O S O S vineyard. Las Osos, which means the bears in Spanish. Oh. Um, because originally in that region there were a lot of black bear. Um, so there's a small town named Las Osos, and from that town is an alluvial fan of soil named Las Osos Complex Soil. And it's in that type of soil that the Merlot vines are planted. Thus, there's a method to the madness for the name Las Osos. And what what one do we have in our glass right now? Uh, Today, uh, right now, we are enjoying the Hilltop Cabernet Sauvignon by J. Lore, which is also uh, from the Paso Robles region of California. It's one of our Vineyard Series wines, which is noted by the Gold and Black label. So a premium tier. Um, This is the 2014 vintage of the Hilltop Cabernet. It's a blend of 90% Cabernet Sauvignon with 6% uh, Petit Verdot and 4% Cabernet Franc. Now, I know you're about to ask this question, so I will. How was the 2014 vintage in California? Uh, it was a very good vintage for us in Paso Robles. We've had a nice string of strong vintages, 12, 13, and 14, have all been very strong for us, so we're pleased to present the 2014 vintage to the market. How long have you been with the company, if you don't mind asking? 19 years this week. Okay, wow. so my question is, have you ever had a bad vintage? There are certainly uh, vintages in California that are not as strong as others, although we're always known to be sunny 
you know, California. Uh, 10 and 11 were cooler vintages for us in California and in Paso Robles. So they were a little bit different in how the fruit represented itself. Now, I've been asking people about the weather because obviously the drought's been a concern. And I know in the north of San Francisco, there's been a lot of rain and they're saying the drought is over. What's going on in Paso Robles? Is the drought done? Uh, have you guys it's, been getting some rain? Are the, the vineyard managers happy? It's uh, We've been getting some rain, more than we've received in the past five years. So that is good. Almost triple about uh, the last time I asked one of our viticulturists, it was about 13, 14 inches just on the winter season, which is good. And they're very happy about that. But they would have actually been happy to receive more for us in Paso Robles. We did not get as much as the North did in Napa and Sonoma. So we're, whereas it was almost too much and flooding happened in the North, we are happy to have received what we've received, but it hasn't completely eliminated the drought. And I think that the drought has to have a certain time frame to officially be called over, but we're happy to have received the rain we have this year. And I guess at this point then, what's the impact it's having on the vineyards? Like I know that a lot of a lot of wineries in California are using irrigation, drip irrigation, but obviously you don't want to use it unless you have to. Has there been a lot of uh, loss just from the stress on the vines from the drought now? Um, I, not to that degree. In Paso Robles, it's underground aquifer, and we've okay. had um, enough in the aquifer to be able to supply what is needed. Our irrigation program is sort of a stress irrigation program. We have a, a consultant from Bordeaux that works with us on uh, irrigation and soil and so forth, so we don't really irrigate a lot. It's more a, a mimicking natural rainfall sources, if you will. So it hasn't been an issue, but yet we want to make sure that um, we're happy to have had that rain to resupply the aquifer, and we don't want it to run too low. Perfect. All right, I got a question that's going to be on everybody's mind. Give us a little bit of history of J. Lore. Well, we are uh, still a family-owned winery, owned by the Lore family. Uh, we were founded by the J and J. Lore. That would be Jerry. Um, uh, Jerry was raised as a farm boy. Um, but ended up in California by way of Stanford University with a civil engineering degree. Always a Jerry, or was he a Jerome named Jerry? Uh, officially, he's Jerome. There we go. All right. Uh, I, have, but, I have a cousin but, Jerome, but, so but, I like to throw his name out every so often. Okay, there you go. But uh, commonly known as Jerry. Jerry, got it. Um, so when he ended up in California, um, real estate development was his first business. But uh, by virtue of his uh, farming background in the late 60s, wine grapes were becoming uh, the thing of fashion. So wine grapes became his crop. Perfect. And I guess, is there anything you want to add about this particular wine in front of us? I mean, it's just a quick tasting note, super concentrated, yeah. uh, black currant, blackberry, blueberry. Very deep, rich black fruits that we get in Paso Robles, a lot of black cherry, um, and something that J. Lore really works for in our house style, ever-increasing uh, quality to the wine, but a nice, dense Cabernet, but to have the uh, tannin structure, the tannin profile very nicely integrated into the fruit, so it's a little bit softer, sweeter tannin profile that we're looking for rather than um, uh, chalkier tannin on the back of the palate. Age of the vines? Um, Jerry first planted in Paso Robles in the mid-1980s. Some of these vines are still from that original block, but he's continued to plant 
um, all the time and a few blocks have been are in the process of replanting so it's there's not one general answer to that question. Got it. A mixed bag. Perfect. <laughs> well, it seems like a lot of the vineyards in California, but man, it tastes good. Yep. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, You're Sean. Very Appreciate welcome. it. Thank you. So that's it. That was our uh, trip through California at the uh, Fairmont Royal York. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes next year. Hopefully for the trade portion, uh, maybe fewer, a couple fewer people. And um Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah, sorry we didn't tell everybody what our favorite wines were, but I mean, I, I think the interviews were were really great, and and they really spoke for themselves. Um, and and California's popular enough where uh, people already know what what they like from California. But I hope we showed you some wineries maybe you never heard of, uh, or wineries you had heard of, but give you a different perspective on you know what they're doing. Fair enough. Um, you can leave a review for this podcast, subscribe to it on iTunes, uh, direct angry phone calls to my co-host and, um, yeah, I'm making that a regular thing. I'm going to give out your phone number one of these times. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. I'm Michael Pincus from AndrePrue.ca. <laughs> All right. I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. As always, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.